0: Uh, so I want to talk today about uh, the fickle barometer of public opinion, and uh, <laughs> and how what's happening. And, and so right now, right now, uh, the majority of public opinion has moved in such a way. Think about it: uh, for many white people, for the first time, to see the the racism that exists in our nation and in many of our institutions. So people are seeing things, and it took a series of really you know, horrendous events back to back uh, to cause people to see what is very, you know, when it's very difficult for us to see, uh, often as, as white people, what our black brothers and sisters have gone through in a lot of different kinds of situations, how they have been treated, uh, because <laughs> it doesn't, affect us. Had a friend this week, good friend, and he wasn't saying this maliciously, but he commented, uh, the men who killed George Floyd have been arrested. Why are they still protesting? And you may have that question. And, and I said to him, I said, I'd say because I, change isn't change until it's change. I, I did you get that? You can talk about change. You can make laws about change, but change isn't really change Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Another week, you get a paycheck. <laughs> we got a great team around here. We love each other. We love these guys. And <clears throat> we're going to take them offering from for William to get some pants uh, <laughs> later on. <laughs> if you want to give towards that full length pants. Uh, Uh, what was I talking about? I was talking about change. Changes and changes change isn't change until it's changed. And so the men were arrested, and there have been a lot of police that have been arrested in a lot of these, what we would look at and say, man, that was a really bad situation. I wonder what really happened in that situation. And, uh, and they ended up not, not being convicted. And so it, it, it wasn't the hope that they thought. And I think until there's a conviction in this case, it'll be hard for the people that are involved to believe that you know, something's really taking place. Uh, if there's a conviction, I think there'll be a good thing. I think what, is ha- what happened was horrendous. Uh, our hope, but you know, our real hope is that, that this will open our eyes, that this will bring some, some kind of lasting change in our institutions. I think we see, we see some things. Uh, I, I'm not for defunding the police, uh, but I think we ask the police to do a lot of things they're not equipped to do. I think we ask the police to deal with mental health issues, uh, and, there's a, and a lot of times we would be better served with people that had more counseling background, sociology background, than, than someone who's going to go into the situation with a gun. Uh, there's, there's a lot of drug abuse issues, and it, it's difficult. We... <laughs> the the difficulty about drugs is that we criminalize an addiction and we we do with alcohol too I mean if you're driving while intoxicated you go to jail just like if you're caught with with any number of uh, dangerous drugs Uh, but often we don't there's hardly any public resource out there available to help people with drug addiction most private I don't know you probably don't know this but if you need health care, let's say if you're, if you're suicidal and you need health care, the only available places are going to cost your family about $1,000 a day minimum. And I don't know how many of you have got an extra $1,000 rolling around uh, for a couple of, you know, a week or two weeks or 10 days or a month. Uh, and the same is true, the, almost exactly true of drug recovery that if you have a drug addiction and you decide you want to get help if you can't find a nonprofit like teen challenge or some of the other there's there's no place to go we we shut down all of those things about 35 years ago and we haven't replaced them so a lot of the people that were in mental health institutions 35 years ago if they're still alive they're on the streets as homeless people and so we you know and you think we're the wealthiest nation in the world can't we figure out a way to solve the homeless situation i mean can't we i mean a lot of them don't want to be in a home but there's a lot of people that would and we could help transition more so you know there's a there's a lot of problems and and there's no there's no uh fix it tomorrow by three o'clock solutions so but right now it's got people's attentions people are listening uh and hopefully Hopefully this, uh, this will, we'll see something, some change. So what's this have to do with the life of David? Well, I figured out a way to make it work. Uh, no. So you we're in the midst of this story. And, uh, so David's King, he's been King for a while. He's got, you know, he's got seven wives. He's got uh, a, a multitude of at least 10 concubines. Uh, and, uh, so in the course of this he's got these multiple wives he's got multiple families multiple sons and so amnon his oldest son rapes tamar his half sister who is absalom's sister who is the second in line second oldest when this happened david is still reeling from his own failure and sin with bathsheba his his his, his own rape of Bathsheba and, uh, and then his subsequent murder of Uriah to cover it, her husband. So David's reeling from that. So his guilt has kind of cloistered him in his house. He's not doing much. He's not taking care of business. So when this happens, he doesn't, he's angry about it. He's upset about it. He, on one hand, he's kind of feeling that Amnon's getting what's due to him. But he's also upset that Absalom has taken care of it. Without his permission so you see that so but David doesn't do anything about it he's just quiet but this caused David and Absalom to be estranged so this put a rift you can see in their relationship Absalom runs off to his grandfather's house grandfather's uh, uh, is the uh, the king of I think of Gehar uh, and and so he goes to his grandfather's house, and there he's, he's pampered for a while, you know, because he's the, he's, the, he's the king's grandson, so you can imagine, you know, how that's going to work out. Uh, so Absalom, they begin after a series of events that I won't go into, that uh, Dave, Absalom is brought back into, at least into Israel, and he's near David but they really don't have any contact for a long period of time. So they're, so they're nearby, but they're, they're, He's, he hasn't run off to another country. He's come back. He's seen the king, but there's still a lot of tension there. There's still a strength. So during this period of time, Absalom begins this long rebellion, uh, where he's working to take over the kingdom from his father, David. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king with a decision, Abraham would call out to him, what town are you from? And he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, well, look. Your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if, if only I were appointed judge, I would help you. Then everyone who has, has a complaint or cause could come to me and I would see that they would receive justice. Also, when anyone would approach him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. So if someone would come to like, show him respect and honor because he's a king's son, he'd say, oh, no, 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 don't, you don't need, don't. I'm, I'm one of you. So he behaved his way toward all the Israelites who came to the king for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So he he changed public opinion by his actions. He used a combination of showmanship. He had the the runners go before him to make make himself look important. And then he used false humility. So he used this combination of looking important and acting important. And then, after showing himself to be important, then he would like act like he was one of the guys, it, which would cause people to think, "Wow, you know that Absalom is really something." And boy, but he re- and he really cares about just regular people like you and me. So this turned to he- people's hearts. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living in Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Which doesn't make any sense really because David has set up the worship there in Jerusalem. So he's going to, you know, another place to worship the Lord. And the king said, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Now, this is an example of we we don't have a a lot of examples of this but this is an example of what the bible calls taking god's name in vain when we think of taking god's name in vain we often think of using language uh, where we we curse and we say you know blank damn And that is you know the bible says that no worthless words proceed out of your mouth i mean we shouldn't do that. I mean we need to watch what we say. I'm not saying I'm not encouraging, but but cursing is not taking God's name in vain. When the Ten Commandments talks about thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, it's talking about this kind of things where we act religious and we do evil things. We do evil things in the name of the Lord. That's you know, all all of the white supremacy groups did that. They called themselves Christian organizations as they were hanging and lynching black people. That's taking God's name in vain. So, and, and, and there's, there's a tendency, it happens a lot. We all do it. Uh, Absalom did that. So he's, he's acting like he's going to worship the Lord, he's, it, but it all has a, it all has a clandestine uh, reason. It's a, you know, I was going to say photo op, but then that might bring up other things. Uh, and I'm not talking about that, so. Mind your own business. Uh, then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, "I, I can I? I I'm going to make some of you mad. Uh, I, I appreciate President Trump has done some really good things. On the other hand, he's an idiot." Amen. <laughs> He's immoral. He wants to claim Christianity. I want him to act like a Christian If he wants to be a Christian, you just can't hold up a Bible doesn't make you a Christian And he's done some good things I'm not saying, you know, and you know, he's the lesser of two evils Probably I don't know I hate politicians and I hate politics. I'm not a good representative of that But I'm just saying okay. So now that I've made half of you mad uh It's tough, and who we're going to vote for in the fall. It's, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about running. I don't know. <laughs> get, get 12 votes. Uh, that would be the dumbest thing in the world. I can imagine anybody who, I can't imagine anybody who would want that job. Can you imagine that? Because you have to be kind of an egomaniac to want a job. I mean, you think about it. Bill Clinton was an egomaniac, right? I mean, John Kennedy. Okay, I'm nonstop. Okay. All right. Yeah, keep digging the hole. So let's pray for him. We need to pray for him because he needs direction, and he needs, uh, he needs somebody that'll not let him Twitter. Uh, so... So Absalom does this. Then Absalom sent secret—I should have stayed with this. Then Absalom <laughs> sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel. As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, so he begins this conspiracy. Then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as his guest and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, which is interestingly is Bathsheba's grandfather— which adds a little intrigue to the story. David's counselor to come from Giloh, his hometown, and so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom, Absalom and Absalom's following kept on increasing. And a messenger came to David and told David, "The hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom." So, do you see what's happened? What's happened for David is that public opinion has shifted and Absalom has been able to, at least for a period of time, he's going to take over the kingdom. And he did it surreptitiously. He did it secretly. He, he did it by slowly devaluing in people's minds, King David, the anointed God appointed King. And God has chosen David to be King, not the people god anointed david to be king samuel the prophet went to his house and said this is the one he anointed him with oil god chose david god chose david knowing that he was going to be an idiot too i mean god works with flawed people have you noticed that Have you ever looked in the mirror God uses broken people. He uses people that are imperfect. He uses people that are not going to do everything just right. As a matter of fact, there's very few of us that do everything just right. David was God's chosen man, but he was a horrible father. He multiplied wives and created all kinds of problems for himself, but he still loved God and depended upon God and was clinging to God in the midst of it. He He was hoping... In God, so in the midst of this, public opinion has shifted, as we've seen, uh, and they've decided that Absalom will be a better king than David. It's great when public opinion is going in the right direction, but you have to understand that that's very rare. <laughs> it very seldom happens. Think about it. public opinion in the Garden was that God didn't want what was best for them and it was depriving them of the knowledge of good and evil, that God was wrong and the devil was right. That was public opinion. There were two people in the garden and they both decided that God was wrong and the devil was right. They were wrong. Public opinion said, it's foolish to waste time building an ark because it never rains here, right? Public opinion thought that the best days of Sodom and Gomorrah were ahead. Public opinion thought that once the Israelites got into Egypt and got into slavery, that they would never escape. Even the Israelites thought they would never escape. Then once they escaped and they got to the edge of the promised land, the majority thought they could never conquer the promised land. And that group was dead wrong. (laughs) <laughs> literally, they all died not getting to go into the promised land. They were wrong that they didn't get to go. In. they were right that they didn't get to go in the promised land. But the ones that they said that the land would devour the little ones, the little ones are the ones who took it. The ma- majority bowed down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't The, the congregation thought there was no other way but compromise, but they were wrong Public opinion said that slavery th- This was the terminology that was used a- as we in our Constitution did not abolish slavery While there was already the trend in England towards abolishing slavery We didn't abolish slavery because they saw it as a necessary evil So they retained that evil. Public opinion said that uh, it was a necessary evil. They were wrong against the tide of public opinion and sentiment. Christian men like William Wilberforce worked their whole lives. He died three days before the, uh, the motion in Parliament to abolish slavery passed, which ended colonial slave trade in England. Not here yet. Uh, From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Act, and it's continued, I I, I put that end date on it, but it's not true, Uh, which is 100 years, Civil War to the Civil Rights Act, 65 to 64. Uh, Public opinion said blacks should stay in their place. They were second-class citizens. They were wrong, of course. Public opinion says the old biblical standard of morality of waiting to have sex with your spouse until after you get married is out of date and that what consenting adults do is their own business. But this has caused one and a half million aborted babies yearly in the U.S. One and a half million murdered children. 50% of children today are born outside of marriage. And we have rampant sexually transmitted diseases, so much so that they want you to vaccinate your 12 year old kid against sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, Public opinion says that truth is whatever you believe, but that's, that's wrong. So, to illustrate this, in the few minutes that I have left, uh, I want to tell you one of the strangest stories in the Bible. Now, there's a lot of strange stories in the Bible. And uh, this is one of the strangest. The book of, Judges, the book of Judges, on the whole, is got a lot of strange stories in it. Because what happened is that the, the generation of Joshua, when Joshua died... The next generation one generation away from Joshua forgot God They didn't know what had happened to them. They didn't know their story They didn't know what God had done for Israel They didn't understand how they'd gotten into the land in one generation they had forgotten and Ignored the promises of God. They never did the stuff God called them to do. They didn't keep the Sabbath they they didn't do the feast they didn't do any of it. They, they didn't keep the Passover. I mean, you know, you would think these are the basic things of, that God tried. They didn't understand the, the concepts of the Ten Commandments, of having no other gods. They, they fiddled with other gods the whole time they were in Israel. So they struggled with it. So in Judges chapter 19, it tells this story. There was a Levite priest from Ephraim. And he took a concubine from Bethlehem. I'm not going to read it because it would be a long time. So I'm going to kind of tell you the story. So the concubine played the harlot, the Bible says, and ran away back to her home in Bethlehem. And the the Levite priest went to talk to her tenderly and tried to get her to come back. So when he got to Bethlehem, he got to her father's house. And her father was delighted to see him. And uh, they stayed three days and they ate and drank and celebrated. They got drunk for three days. And then, on the fourth day, they got up early to leave. The father-in-law said, wait until the afternoon. In the afternoon, they, they drank until evening. Got drunk another day. Another day gone, down the tubes. Fifth day, they got up early. father-in-law said, wait until the afternoon. And he did wait until the afternoon, but they finally left. And in the afternoon, they started their journey, which was late to start the journey. But by nightfall, they'd only made it to Gibeah. And Gibeah was in the tribe of Benjamin. So, he was... He was he was from north of Jerusalem, and Gibeah was about halfway of the trip that they were going to make. He had gone to Bethlehem, uh, which is south of Jerusalem, about five miles. He'd gone up through Jerusalem, up through Gibeah, up towards Gibeah, then up to where he was from. So he's, he's making his way back home, and they stop at Gibeah, and uh, they're waiting in the square for someone to invite them in, for someone to give them lodging, because that was what would happen. You would go into the square, and the, they did kind of observe the hospitality laws. It's amazing that they didn't observe any other laws, but they kind of observed the hosti- hospitality laws. And they're waiting in the square at Gibeah when an old man, who is actually from the Levites where he lives, they're from the same area. This old man, and it describes him as an old man, uh, yesterday was it yesterday or the day before yesterday we were singing in the car and uh, eda has discovered the frozen songs uh, and so uh, the the newest song is called into the unknown and if you don't know it it's you're you're blessed uh, and so we are we're, we're singing you know eda's 3 about to turn 4 we're singing into the unknown and Etta says to me, Papa, you can't sing into the unknown. You're too old. <laughs> so I got a grandson I'm going to have to train differently. Uh, <laughs> but You're too old. Stop singing. Why? You're too old. I said, is my mom too old? No, no. Just you. You're too old. So, So... So this man invites them into their house. This old man invites them into their house. They go to stay in the the house. And at nightfall, some Benjamite men come and bang on the door and say, send out the men so that we can have sex with them. Does this sound like the story of Lot? It sounds a lot like the story of Lot. And here's the thing, depravity always ends up in the same place. This is not so much as, as a sexual, as it is to humiliate the guest, so that it sends the message: don't go to Gibeah. We don't like strangers here. We don't like outsiders. You ever been to a place where you were? The, you ever been to a little town where you were that, where they know everybody, and when you go, they know that you don't belong there, and they treat you like an outsider? So, so they they're, they bang on the door. They're saying, send out this man so that we can have sexual relationships with him. And the the man who said, I can't. He's my guest. You know, I can't send him out. Uh, Here's my guest. So here's here's the twisted logic. But here, take my virgin daughter and his concubine and do as you please. Uh, And they said, no. But the Levite took his concubine and threw her outside to the men. No wonder she ran away. Uh, And they raped and abused her all night long. And in the morning when the Levite got up to go, the concubine, his concubine was dead. So he he loaded her on his donkey, and he took her home. And this is where the story, though strange, gets even stranger. He's so angry, he feels like something has to be done. So when he got home, he cut her up into 12 pieces and sent each piece to the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the sons of Israel gathered in Mizpah to fight the... So he called them to battle. We need to to go fight the sons of Benjamin for, you know, this shouldn't be happening in Israel. Uh, so they go, they gather, uh, and all of the fathers, all of the fathers of the, all of Israel make a vow, we will never allow any of our daughters to marry a Benjamite, someone from the tribe of Benjamin. So they tell the, the Benjamites who have gathered from war, send, send out the people who have committed this crime, send out these heinous people, uh, but the Benjamites won't do it. And so they, ha- they end up having a battle. First... Day of the war, the Benjamites kill 22,000 of Israel. Second day, the Benjamites kill 18,000 of Israel. Third day, the battle turns and they kill all the Benjamites and go through the countryside and kill every man, woman, and child. They kill all of the Benjamites except for 600 who have escaped. So then, after they do this, Israel has felt bad because they've wiped out one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now they're feeling bad. They're saying, okay, now we've messed up. Now we've wiped out one of the tribes of Israel. What should we do? Someone says, they're, they're not all dead. 600 have escaped. Why don't we have wives for them? Because, but we don't have wives for them because we swore an oath that we would not give our daughters to the Benjamites. So they have Benjamite men, but they don't have women for them. So someone says, well, who didn't go to war with us? And somebody says, well, nobody came from Jabesh Gilead. So they sent troops to Jabesh Gilead and killed all of those in Jabesh Gilead who were not virgins and brought them to the Benjamites. But that only gave them 400 virgins. They were still 200 virgins short. This was before Amazon. (laughs) So here's their solution. Isn't this crazy? This is a crazy story. So they said, Behold, there's a feast of the Lord from year to year in Shiloh, which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south side of Lebanon. That's pretty good directions. You should be able to find it. And they commanded the sons of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie and wait in the vineyards, and watch. And behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to take part in the dances, then you shall come out of the vineyards, and each of you shall catch his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin and then like get you a wife and then go home. (laughs) And, And that's how the book of Judges ends. That's the last story in the book of Judges. Just death, destruction, chaos, because This this is the last verse in Judges in those days There was no king in Israel and Everyone did what was right in his own eyes Everybody had an opinion there was no binding moral consensus They had rejected the commandments of God they had rejected the ways of God, so everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Everyone, If you read the story, everyone in the story is doing what they think is best in the moment. You know, the man whose concubine gets killed says, something has to be done. This is not right. We need to do something. And so he cuts his dead concubine into 12 pieces and sends the pieces to the 12 tribes of Israel. And that stirs everybody up. And they say, something has to be done. And so they gather for war against Benjamin. And they say, send us out. Send us out these people who committed this crime. And the Benjamin say, no, we're not going to do it. So they say, something has to be done, so they go to war. And they go to war, and, they, and the first two days, they lose. But what's the outcome? Destruction and chaos. Everybody's doing what they think needs to be done in the moment. Everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. It's what happens when everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And it happens to you and I this happens to us we th- say things like this it's my life I'll do what I want to do you ever hear that here's no that's popular today this is what's right for me it's it's my truth well no it's the lie that you chose to believe but it's not the truth we want the freedom to do and we talk about this a lot You know we what we should have done we when we when the French built us a statue of Liberty in New York Harbor we should have built another one called the statue of responsibility in San Francisco Harbor we kind of needed something to balance that out Because freedom is not doing what you want to do with whoever you want to do it whenever you want to do it that's not freedom that's abuse we want the freedom to do what we want to do so Here's the problem. If when you have a world where people are doing what they want, it always works better for the men. Dun, dun, dun. When women become possessions and profit centers, every time women get abused by porn, and the porn industry, and people who look at porn, women who get abused by prostitution, the people who put them out there, the people who get to make the money off of it, and then the people who utilize prostitution. Sex trafficking. Yes, there are boys, young boys that are also a part of sex trafficking, but Women are particularly when men do what is right in their own eyes. Women particularly suffer. As you can see, even in this story from 3,000 years ago, when all the men did what they thought was right, the women suffered. Just kill everybody and get those 400 virgins. Oh, we need 200 more. Well, go steal them while they're out worshiping the Lord. Here's the thing. You can't do what's right in your own eyes without hurting someone. First, you will eventually hurt you. If you do what is right in your own eyes, if you do what you want to do with who you want to do it with, when you want to do it, you will eventually hurt you. And in hurting you, you will hurt others. Because when you hurt... Think about it. If you're a teenager, you can't hurt you without hurting your parents You think well, I'll do what I want I'm my own man. Well, you may be your own boy man child but Still if you hurt yourself if you get addicted you drag your whole family into it If you become pregnant and we're gonna keep the child because we wanna do the right thing. But still, grandma and grandpa didn't want to raise a child. They already did that. Been there, done that, got the t shirt. Right? You 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 hurt others. If if you're a parent, you can't hurt you without hurting everybody in the family. You drag them into your misery. If you're married, you can't do what you want to do when you want to do it with who you want to do it with, and it come out. And and a lot of you, a lot of you, when you were growing up, your parents did that. One of your parents said, I'm out. This is hard, and I don't like it, and I don't love him anymore. There's probably a song that says that, but I don't know couple, right? And here you are as an adult and your parents divorced and used used 40 years later or 50 years later, it still hurts you. So you can't do what you want to do, when you want to do it, with who you want to do it with, and it not have consequences. And that's the reality. That's what we're dealing with. So what we're dealing with, we're dealing with a nation of people who want to throw off every constraint. They want to throw off anything, any sense of right and wrong. They just want to do what they want to do. And, it, and it does, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about people everywhere, <laughs> across every class, all kinds of people, people who grew up in church, people who say, if you ask them, are you a Christian?" Yes, I'm a Christian. I have, so what does that mean to you? Have you given your life to Christ? Yes, I've given my life to Christ. Are you living with your girlfriend? Yes. What do you think the Bible says about that? I think the Bible's pretty clear, and it says, don't do that. Am I wrong about that? Am I being harsh about that? I didn't make, it's, it's, they're not my rules. That's just one. And you know, that's an easy, that's an easy thing to pick on, you know? uh, And so, and one of the, and one of the things we want to do around here, we try to help. If you're living together, we want you to get married. We want to help you get married. We'll do everything we can to help you get married. Because we believe that's God's will for your life. Is if you're living together if you love if you if you love them enough to move in together Then you need to love them enough to get married and if you don't love them enough to get married move out Thank you for that one amen <laughs> So I've got one minute. So what is the answer? That's the problem The problem is that everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes and when everybody does what's right in their own eyes It's chaos It's destruction What is the answer? We need truth, not opinion. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I need a relationship with the truth. I need a a relationship with the truth. I need need the kind of relationship with the truth that Jesus says after I leave, I'm going to send back the Holy Spirit and he's going to lead you into truth. He's going to convict you that the Holy Spirit's going to say to you, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, that's not me. Don't do that. We need that. See, you and I need to give heed to what we think is right in our own eyes and begin to ask the question. Not, not, is this what the public says is okay what my friends say is okay what the world system what everybody else says okay does God say this is okay I mean that's that's the question is this what is this what God wants me to do we should be asking ourselves is does this please God is this what God wants it's not what my family wants or my friend wants or what everybody else wants is it what God wants that's the question. Is it right in God's eyes? Because I, I don't know if you know this. You can justify anything. You can. You can, you can feel good just about just about anything. Even if it's really bad, you can feel good about it for a while. So we, we have to change the question. It's not how I feel about this. How does God feel about this? And let God examine our hearts. Let God change our minds. You know, are there, are there things in your mind that you've held on to, truths or opinions? Maybe opinions about racism, opinions about African-Americans, opinions about all kinds of things that they're just opinions that you have Grown up with and you've never submitted them to the authority of Christ in your life And you've never said I don't need my opinion. I need God's opinion. What's God's opinion? Well, God's opinion is that he loves everybody the same And he wants you to love your neighbor as yourself So do you love yourself? Well, you know How tight are your pants fitting after COVID-19, right? Yeah, i'm taking care of myself pretty good So, I must love myself. Do I love my neighbor? So, we need to seek the truth. And (laughs) you and I need to give given so much authority to our own opinions. Man, it's amazing. People think their opinions are gold. Just read Facebook. Just, Just sit down and read a couple of Facebook posts of people's thoughts. And it's I don't know if it's created it or if it's just given a venue for it, but it is. <laughs> People think their unstudied, unverified opinions have greater weight than any other level of truth. I think, if I think it, it must be true. But, you know, you recognize that if you think it, there's a big chance that you could be wrong. And we need to let this God judge us by His Word. One of the great measurements that we want to use as believers, as we use the Word of God, the Word of God is our. Is Our measuring stick, what does the Word of God say? Yeah, the public opinion says this, and everybody else says this, but, but what does God say? So we look at the Word of God, and the Word of God gives us—it's a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's death. Yeah. It seemed you know, can you imagine all those guys at the end of that judge's story thought— It seemed like a good idea at the time, but it didn't work out. We need to submit our opinions and our values to the Word of God. Well, let's stand and pray. Join with me out there if you're still there, if I haven't made you too mad that you already turned off the television. It's okay. I still love you. Father, we... We come in Jesus' name. Lord, we need your help. We as individuals, I need your help, Lord. I'm an idiot too. Lord, my opinions don't, don't hold the weight and value that your word does. I need your word in my life more than I need my opinion. Lord, we, we, need, help as, we need help as a nation. We're in great chaos. And we're, we're greatly disturbed. Lord, the answer is you. There is truth. There's help. There's light. There's hope. There's hope in God. There's hope in Christ. Lord, we, we need our leaders. We need President Trump to make good decisions. He's our president. We, we need him to make good decisions. Lord, we pray that you would, you would hold him up in this season, this difficult time. Lord, we we acknowledge we need your help, Lord, and we pray that you would help restore us to your truth, the foundation, as believers. We can't expect the world to do it, but we should expect us to do it, that we could stand on the foundation of your word. Lord, we want to stand on the foundation of the word of God. It It is secure, it is steadfast. In Jesus' name, amen.